Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this podcast is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. My name is Brendan. I make YouTube videos on public speaking. It's a channel called Master Talk. And how I got started was when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age would like eat chicken wings and play sports. I would eat those same chicken wings, but I would watch other people present and present competitions. And we did that for fun. So anyways, three years went by, got a job in consulting, presented hundreds of times. And I just asked myself the following question after I graduated, which was, how do I use my time and expertise to make an impact in the world? That's when the idea for the channel came to be. I love it. And it's so amazing to watch you and be able to see how you speak so eloquently. And I know that didn't come on day one, but it was a lot of processes. So I guess let's let's just go into what you're not sorry for, because I know it plays into the public speaking side. So Brendan, can you tell the world what you are not sorry for? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not sorry for playing bigger every day. And I think that's that's the message I want people to take away from all of this is that we play too small in life. You know, we want to get that nine to five job and then that's it. And then we don't want to push for more or we don't want to push for what society doesn't want us to do, but rather than push for what we want to do, which I think should be the focal point of anyone's life. So what life experiences got you to here to be like, oh, I've been or possibly you might have been playing small growing up some way that you're just like, Oh, I've got to got to do more. Yeah, for sure. So, so I grew up in very modest beginnings. You know, my my mother worked at a factory. My dad was a hat manager at a company. So they both pretty much worked minimum wage. Uh, I didn't have you know the things that I always wanted to get in life. You know, whether it was like a two chocolate bars or something. I never I never got it. I never understood why either until I grew up a little more. So basically, the focus of my life was how do I get out of poverty? And I think whenever we start our journey, we should always be focused on what the next thing is rather than just saying, oh, I should like start a YouTube channel or something crazy like that. And then as kind of life went by for me, you know, I I grew up in a French education system. So I struggled a lot with presentations because I didn't know the language and all of those things kind of crumpled up together. And suffice to say, when I joined business school, I didn't know a single person in business, had no idea what... uh, what a company was had an I saw my oversized suit from prom that I was wearing so I was pretty clueless, but you know over time you know learning from mentors and shows like this you know I just learned how to how to get ahead and how to get smart and how to train myself to develop myself in a way that most people my age usually don't do. I started listening to podcasts when I was seventeen, and I was listening to podcasts two hours a day ever since and. It's gotten me far. And then after that, you know, I, I focused on getting the accounting job. Then after I focused on getting the consulting job. And then after I got out of poverty, the new question was, what do I do more? Is that all I'm going to do with my life? And then MasterTalk came into play and I was able to make a bigger impact in the world as well. I love that. And the thing that I hear about this is habits. That what you've done was not created over one day. 
it was a combination of one again i always say you are one of the most emotionally intelligent be person to be able to self-reflect the way that you do but also the ability to see that you know it takes time and it's going to take growth and i have to put in some work so what are some of the habits that you would say that you've consistently done to play bigger yeah, and I love this question because I'm going to answer something that most people don't. You know, I, I always find it funny when people say things like yoga or meditation or eating yogurt in the morning. I go, that's not the point. Though those things are important and all that stuff. But the one habit that nobody does that people need to do more of is ask themselves a hard question every day. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do that, you'll never find your own perspective. So one homework I have for people that I guarantee most people won't do is to write your own funeral speech. Because if you do that, you're going to go through life in reverse and you're going to say, okay, well, I have this many years to live and that way I can backtrack and figure out what I want to do. And by asking yourself a very difficult question every day, like what are some of the controversial things you believe in that most people don't, over time, what starts to happen is you start to develop a unique identity and a unique set of values that nobody else has. And then you start to develop your own point of view of how the world should be. And then you push towards that point of view. The thing I hear in that that I love is that you shape your life by your choices, where 90 plus percent of people, I believe, shape their environment shapes them. So how did you do that? Like, what, is it just natural or do you just feel was there, again, just something that sparked it that got you to this? Yeah, for sure. I think the first thing that I did was I rinsed out a lot of the people that I knew. So what that means is most people, if you think most human beings in life right now, there's around maybe at least 10% of their friends would, or 10% of the people they talk to are generally negative. If not more, it's probably more than 10% if I'm being honest. But, you know, it's around 10%. So a way to figure out who you should actually have in your life rather than the people who are just attracted to the image of you is by communicating the weird things that you do on a daily basis to everyone around you. That isn't illegal, obviously. And by doing that, what ends up happening, and I always set the example, right? You know, I, I, can, I can sing in eight different languages. I dance alone in my basement an hour a day. I absolutely love Justin Bieber. I don't know why people hate him so much. <laughs> right, all of these odd things. But what happened when I did this at a very young age, I probably started doing that when I was 16 or 17. 10% of the people I hung, I hung out with would say the following. Oh, I don't really care what you're into. Just be happy, man. Like you would, right? If I told you all this, which I'm sure is the, the reaction. But the other 90%, what surprised me was they would say things like, wait, actually, do you, wait, do, that's not true, right? Do you actually listen to that? Isn't that, you know, actually that party on Friday? Yeah, don't come, right? So what, it, what happens is it's very painful in the short term. But you figure out who your real friends are and who actually likes you. And then after that, once you have five or six people who just like you for who you are, then you just do whatever the hell you want. So I think uh, I think that's a good way for people to navigate. I love that. That makes me think of I did a class the other day with a group of people. And one thing I challenged them is your values. How are you basing your values? What are they based off? Are they based off your circumstances? And then your sphere of influence and its impact. And I always say the joke, if you're around nine broke people, you're about to be the 10th one. But what they said is, what if you're around nine amazing people? Could you be the 10th one? 
and really having that look about your sphere of influence and how they could be owning your story whenever it's yours. So I admire your ability to do that at such a young age as well, because again, I believe that's unique in all the people that I speak with. There's not many people. So again, this is the reason why I'm just fascinated with you and your psychology and how you work. So tell me how doing that now has led to your future success and the success that you've seen, not only in your work life, but also in your, your public speaking life. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think a good way of explaining this to people without being too vague is that the difference between someone who's extremely successful who does something very unique with their life, think Elon Musk with the bajillion companies he started, or just a, a movement, a charity, a nonprofit, really something that's really unique versus someone who either, even someone who follows that vision is still within that circle, or someone who just is normal and watches Netflix all day. What's the difference? The difference is that the person who's really successful questions everything so why does that person need to get married why do we need to have two and a half kids why is there a white picket fence why is it not black right it's just why are we saving up for retirement at 65 if steve jobs died at 56 like none of this makes sense but what happens is once you do that then everything falls apart and you're left in a room where there's nothing in the room except you Mm -hmm. and you end up in a in a moment and most people never get there but the people who do just sit there and they're alone and they have a they have a book and the book is empty and there's no pages left and there's nothing written in the pages. So the only thing left to do now is to write the only story that matters, which is the one that you choose to write for yourself. Mm-hmm. So so what happens is in that journey, as you question everything, whether it's religion, politics, what you believe in, what you don't believe in, whatever the belief system, it doesn't matter. Then what happens is you start to develop a unique belief system, what you actually believe. So I'll give you an example. So one of the things I believe is I think it's ridiculous that most speech coaches have not shared any of their information for free for people who can't afford them. I just think that's ridiculous. Like actually, I'm actually mad at them, but mm-hmm. it's infuriating, frankly. So that's why I started Master Talk at such a young age. I mean, I was 22 in my mother's basement. That makes no sense. I had no PhD. But then over time, you know, I started coaching CEOs and I was 23. Mm-hmm. And those unconventional decisions come from my ability to question everything. Yes. And I'll say it took me a while to start questioning, but what it was for my end is that I'm a twin. You know, we talk about nature versus nurture. Well, I'm in essence the same. So what else is it? And I think what I found is it's our mindset and our ability, like you said, to ask questions, but not just to ask questions, but to also act on them. So what are some things, some actions that people can do to play big after they've started to question a little bit about themselves and in those deep dives. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two exercises I recommend. One is what I call the love letter exercise. So what you want to do is you want to write a letter to the person that you're doing this for, right? And that way, the more specific the letter becomes, the more motivating it is. So if you use the love letter example with me, and you compare me to, I guess, somebody else who who doesn't really follow what their intuition tells them to do. So let's use the first example, someone who doesn't want to follow their intuition. So they have option A or B. And A is to do the thing, it's painful, it's uh, you know not motivating, I don't want to do it. And then option B is watch Netflix, right? So most people go with option B. But once you write that letter, you're very specific about the person you're helping. So if you take me, when I started Master Talk, I was a stupid idea. 
why would anyone watch me on a camera? I'm in my mother's basement. There's no lighting. I have no money for production. At least I, I did it in the past. And then over time, I realized who I was for, which was the 16-year-old version of me, the 16-year-old Julia who can't afford me. So now when you're very clear about that person who you're helping, now option A and B is different for someone like me. Option A is you do the thing, right? And you help Julia you, and every other girl who's 16 in the world, because who else do they have yeah. as role models for speaking coaches? Like nobody. It's just a bunch of 16, 60, 70-year-olds mm -hmm. on YouTube. Or option B is hurt millions of people. And in my specific niche, I'm not just hurting the millions who are alive today. I'm hurting the millions who are alive after me because communication is the one of the only skills in the world that never, ever gets commoditized, where you'll live forever, regardless of how technology innovates. So I'm saying no to millions of people if I don't do anything about it, which is this comes to the second exercise. Every day when you wake up, ask yourself the following question. Who suffers from my inability to take action? And the more specific you are about the person that you're hurting, the more enticed you are to take action. I am amazed at that. And it's actually a perspective I've never even heard before, but it does make sense. It's that motivation, not just the intrinsic, but you're also taking the extrinsic motivation and finding ways that you can not capitalize to use it against it, but, but for the better in essence, but so many people don't do it. And you've probably had this experience too in your life is that you're, you're younger and you're doing things and you talk to people that are in their sixties or seventies or eighties. And they're like, I, I'm just, I don't, I've already lived this life. I, I can't give anything. What would you say to them? Right. So, so I think there, there's two parts to that. Right. And, and one part of it is for sure, like, I think everyone has a gift and everyone is meant to share it. Because if we if we live in this society where we have so much to us, like, you know, I'm very fortunate. I get to work out of my basement at a great job that I have that pays all my bills, does all my things. I just believe it's a moral responsibility to share that information for people. So if you do have a gift, the only thing I would say is I hope you do the exercises from today and you you find that clarity. And whatever it is that you believe, it could just be a cupcake recipe that you want to share to people. It doesn't really matter or what the idea is. The second part of it, which is a bit more honest, is I think the best way of making a difference in the world is focusing on the winners. What does that mean? That means not winners doesn't mean rich people. Winners means the people who actually want to make a change. I've always believed in this idea that you're better off taking great people and making them exceptional versus taking average people and making them great. And I think very big podcasters, think about Lewis House, for example, is a good example here in the sense that I'm making this podcast for millions of people and maybe 1% of people who can't afford me will take action on this advice. And I just ended up being in that 1%. But there was no way for Lewis to determine that I was that person in mm -hmm. the same way that, you know, when, when I make videos on Master Talk, public speaking videos, I know no one's going to watch and almost nobody will because who wants to work on on public speaking skills but the answer is there are people it's just not 10 bajillion people but the ten thousand people right who do who are saying if this video existed i would watch every single video until there's no more videos left i'm making the videos for them and that keeps me motivated so just focus on the winners i think we waste too much time helping people who don't want to be helped 
That's so true. Oh, that is beyond true. Because what I think too is in the space that I'm in is wellness and safety. And in essence, we want to make everybody have this happy, perfect life. But the reality is, is that action is going to be needed for these things to spawn the, the habits to create the life that they want. And focusing on the people that care, that show up. But the irony is that is that we actually are incentivized to help people that don't want, in essence, to do some of the things. And so we can give money and, and on the HR side to people that are suffering, in essence, which is not a bad thing. But the people that are doing the actions, it, we get penalized if we give them additional monies. So our world can shape us. What are some things that you see that if you could say, hey, I want the world to play bigger. If we can look at a certain system or a certain way, what would you say that you would love to see just reframe for the sake of humanity? Yeah, that's a very big question. I, I think there's many lanes here, but but I think the, the best way that that's tangible for the audience is I. So my, this is my own unique perspective. It's not science based, just how I think. I think every single human being should be focused on two problems to solve in their lifetime. One is the one that they're uniquely positioned to solve, right? So not the passion stuff, right? Let's put that on the side. It's very vague. It doesn't help people. And if it did, everyone would have a passion, right? It's just not the case. I think the better question to determine that problem that you're meant to solve is what does the world need you most to do now and why? Right. I think that's a much better question. So for me, I had like 10 options. I could have been like a motivational speaker. I could be like a, you know, senior executive at a company. I could do a YouTube channel and career coaching. There's a lot of stuff I could have done. But the one thing that I was absolutely dangerous at that nobody else was doing was democratizing the world's information on public speaking at a very high level. No one was doing that. So it just needed to be the thing that I was meant to do. The second problem is what I believe to be the world's easiest problem. So by focusing people, too many people ask themselves what problem they're most passionate to solve. They don't ask themselves, what is the world's easiest problem to solve? How can I get a quick win here so that I can stay motivated to solve everything else and actually push the world forward? So for me, that's why I've been focused on the water crisis and what Scott's doing with Charity Water. So that's why I'm focused on the water crisis and public speaking. But the point is not that you should be solving these two problems. But that if you find the two things for yourself, you won't you won't focus on the news anymore. You'll just focus on those two problems and get it done rather than just being a keyboard warrior and doing nothing. And the point, too, that I hear is that whenever you just focus on two, it makes it easier. Because so many of us want to do so many things, but whenever you break it down into small steps or small goals, which they're not in essence small, but still they're meaningful, they're impactful, but they're two instead of 500 that sometimes I hear. I want, want to do X, Y, Z and all these things, but I'm like, oh, what what is something that could benefit you in your niche or not exactly, we don't even have to go with niches. What is your special gift? Because I truly agree that gifting is beyond important on that so what would you tell somebody that is coming to you and saying, I'm sorry for playing small or not playing bigger? What would you say to them? 
I would say a couple of things, but I think the biggest thing that I would say is it's okay, but take the next step. And then when you take, because for me, get, like just to give people an idea of how crazy, how uninformed I was in university. So my first internship was at Price Waterhouse Coopers, which is a very prestigious accounting firm. And when I was 19, I thought that company is a water bottling company because it had the word water in it. So when I went to their first information session, I was 19, I had sweatpants and I was confused as to why everyone was in suits. Right. So for me, the insane thing to do was get, there's no way I would get a job at PwC. Who would hire me? Right. But then after I got that job, I was like, wait, I could get a job in consulting. Can't I? No, come on. There's no way I'm going to get a job at IBM. That doesn't make sense. But then after, but incrementally. So thinking bigger doesn't mean taking over the world if it, if it adds more relief to people. It just means what is the bigger thing for you right now? So for me after that, it wasn't be the biggest YouTuber on the planet on public speaking. It was can I make a video in my phone without vomiting in my mouth? And the answer was really hard. It took me three weeks before I posted my first video. But then grad and now after lots of time has passed, which is around four years since I started, that journey was now I want to be the greatest speech coach ever because I want to share that info. But you don't start there. You start at like, can I get this accounting job that everyone gets? Nah. Yeah, then you start there. So incremental. So oh, one last thing I would add here is we have an unlimited amount of passions, but a limited amount of decisions. If I never made the decision to go to PwC, if I never made the decision to do IBM, I would not have the communication skills I have today to even do master talk. So it's all about taking that next step. Yes. And the thing that I love to, in, in hearing you speak is that thoughts lead to feelings, which leads to actions, which lead to behaviors. But in your approach to, you know, the feeling and the intuition, but it doesn't, the fear that comes with it, accompanies it, does not stop your action. You don't stay in that feeling state. You actually go forward. And that's just, that's admirable in my part because there's so many people that just, they love comfort. And there's this, people say that dr the biggest drugs or addictions is, is drugs. And I'm like, no, it's comfort that we stay in this place that is so comfortable. That's the reason why COVID is so difficult right now because it is so uncomfortable. There's so many unknowns. And actually I have Dana on here that actually commented and she's a police officer That's in cool. a city of Chattanooga. And I absolutely love this woman, but she is not about comfort. And she goes in and while people are protesting cops, she goes and she walks with them to have those conversations so that we can get to the next step to get to that, that part about, humanity in the world and making it better but that's what i love is that you're not in the comfort zone speak to that for us on how powerful it is to step outside of it right i, I think the idea is you know i'm not that much different than most people i love living in the comfort zone i think the comfort zone is great i get to eat my potato chips and everything but uh, the caveat is the following if you believe in something enough to do it, then you should push that out of your comfort zone. So I, I'm always happy to admit, you know, I'm scared of heights. Do I want to jump out of a plane? No. Should I? Maybe it'll get me out of my comfort zone. But it's not something I'll be doing, right? But the point I want to drive is when it came to Master Talk and YouTube channel, all that stuff, we all have to picture this. It was a huge hit to my ego when I started presenting on camera. 
because I was one of the best speakers in the country. I did a lot of competitions and I sucked on camera. I was terrible. There was nobody to talk to. I was alone in my basement, my mother's space. My mom was like, what are you doing? Why are you making videos? You're a consultant at IBM. Like, what are you doing? Right? So I had all that insecurity. But why did I push through that? Because I had a point of view on how the world should be. I believe that we should live in a world where nobody is afraid of public speaking. I think it's ridiculous that our education system has forced us all into being fearful of this. So I needed to be the spokesperson to create a message and a video series where nobody li lives through that pain because it's not something that people should be going through in the first place. So because I developed that point of view, I had a belief system in that thing that I pushed past it. The reason why people don't get lose weight or don't do that, it's not because of the benefits around. It's not because of their lack of mindset. It's because they don't have a belief system on why they want the thing. And if they don't selfishly ask themselves what they actually believe and want to fight for and what's worth fighting for, of course, they're going to stay the way that they are. Right. Why, why bother pushing? <sighs> So good, Brendan. I am just blessed beyond measure, like I said in the beginning, to know you and continue to let the audience hear from you in the way that you want to deliver, but to your passion for it and your ability to execute in such a dynamic way that is what we say is hot, humble, open, and transparent. So I am beyond grateful for you. And I guess my last thing I will say is, what are your final words? If you could tell anybody to leave it on a note, what would you say to people? Yeah, I would share my favorite quote of all time, which is be insane or be the same. If you want to be like everyone else, you go ahead and do that. But if you're listening to this, you probably want to do something bigger than just have a nine to five or do something like that. So my advice is to act a bit more insane, be a lot more controversial, ask yourself what's wrong about the world, ask yourself what's wrong about this person. It takes a lot of guts to look at a PhD in communication and say, you have no idea what you're talking about. So I'm going to make videos in my basement. But in your life, in your own unique experiences, you could look at the justice system, the way that people make cupcakes and say, this is wrong. I need to do better than this. Right. And it, by developing that unique perspective about how the world should be, that's when you become insane and you start to make cool decisions, which often lead to unique ideas that change the course of how we live. Yes. It makes me think of what is crazy in one season is seen as faith in another. And that is something that has actually perpetuated my life and the way that I work. So I am just, again, amazed and in awe and so grateful for you. Where can people find you at if they yeah, want to watch videos? Yeah. You know, I always say I'm not really famous or anything. So feel free to just send me a message on Instagram at master your talk. You can send me insults, complaints, uh, feedback, points, questions. I'm always open. And if you want to check out my YouTube videos, that's master talk in one word, where I share a lot of my information on how to master your talk. Thank you so much. And thank you for everybody that watched and joined in. We're beyond blessed for you. And thank you. Have a blessed day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.